Okay, welcome back to the show, everybody. We are digging into crates again this week to an episode that was never published. Uh, it was an episode of a podcast we intended to call Sarah and Wayne. We were going to do a series of conversations that would have taken you along our journey of our relationship with us. And in this particular episode, we decided to go watch a documentary. We love documentaries. And this film hit us so hard that we immediately came back and recorded this episode to talk about the ways that this film impacted us. The film was called Where to Invade Next, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. So sit back. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Go ahead and watch the film. I mean, well, you'll know whether you want to watch the film after you hear us talk about it. But I think it's an important one. Um, It definitely was for us. If any of you have been thinking about relocation or just thinking about how the world works this film is incredible and i think this conversation is as well so enjoy thanks again y'all all right welcome back thank you for joining us on sarah and wayne we appreciate you we love you for joining us and being with us and taking this ride with us hey hey how you feeling babe well, maybe, like an honest before, you actu- before you actually <laughs> do you really want to know before you answer that everybody let me explain what's going on right now so this week i guess we've been watching ted talks or something and mm-hmm. one of the most recent speakers made the point um that we should spend a lot of our time uh valuing our relationships and doing things other than the normal watching TV. sitting around on the couch and watching tv and all that so we decided okay we're going to institute that and today was our first day of making an attempt to do so. Non-date night. Uh, Wayne hates the word It was date. originally date night, <laughs> and my mind went automatically to like... I'm not buying flowers and taking you to romantic candlelight dinner. You know, romance, is, you know, <laughs> just didn't, it just didn't uh, sit well with me. Anyway, so today was So what was did we decide to call it? I don't know. Just, uh, Non-date uh, night? Non... No, no, we called it hangout night. That's so embarrassing. Whatever. Okay. So my idea, you know, I said, okay, maybe it'd be cool... To go get out of the house and go watch something we can't watch at home or wouldn't normally watch it. I mean, we would normally watch it. Anyway, the point is, we went out tonight. This is Wayne's first planned <sighs> non-date This is our first hangout night. hangout night. And I chose to take Sarah to watch the film Where to Invade Next by Michael Moore. Which I had been avoiding because I thought it was a movie about war. And I like I love Michael Moore and I love documentaries, but I can't. I don't have much stomach for politics and war and whatnot. Yeah. So I had been avoiding it. I had been reading about the film and I knew what I was getting into, but I just didn't, I I was unaware of how much it would affect me, but we'll get to that. So that was our, this is our first um, hangout night. Go watch a movie, come home and record an episode immediately. Uh, Immediately following the film, we decided not to talk about it until we got here. That was hard. It was very hard. And we were those two dicks in the movie theater having our phones out the whole time, taking notes on our cell phones. But I think it's going to be well worth it. (laughs) And I I don't have any discomfort about that. We had to do that all the time in in school. So actually not on cell phones. Take out your cell phones and take notes. No, but we had like little lights (laughs) and pens and paper, you know, back when you had to write pens and paper. (laughs) So here we are. We have to discuss this film. uh, I wish you could see our table. Oh, yeah. There's like a two-gallon bottle of vodka <laughs> sitting on our table i was like as soon as i got home i'm like honey can i please have a drink before we podcast because i i can't 
I that movie just got me all the way up to a hundred. And I generally like won't drink during podcasts, but even I am sipping on some kosher Eau de V clear brandy. Eau de V plum brandy. I I needed one too. It was heavy, <laughs> and and the the inability to express my thoughts immediately after feeling. What I was feeling when the film was over was also uh, emotionally difficult. Yeah, Wayne wanted everyone in the movie to. There's only eleven of us. And I'm a very small landmark. You like, want everybody to circle up. I wanted to stop. Sit <laughs> back down. How can you be leaving? We have to talk about. Let's this. change the world. But it was better that they left so that I could save all those thoughts for for this moment. For now. you, beautiful listeners. So the film is Michael Moore's latest attempt to uh, cause us to think outside of our normal framework. Now, obviously, he is a propagandist. He's unabashedly so. And I think he does well at... Propagandizing? uh, Propagandizing. Um, This film follows along the same... um, It is in the same vein as his film Sicko, where he goes to a variety of places and realizes that there are other answers to the issues of health concerns and people in other countries approach health care in a variety of ways that would be interesting for us to do here at home. Right. He challenges the idea that we have the best answer are exceptional and um, the best. God bless the America and no place else. Yeah. Yeah. He really does challenge it. And he does so in this film by just cherry picking things about other countries that are so dramatically different than the way we have it here that you can't help but compare. And say, hmm. You can't help it. It's not, you know, there's not an argument that holistically everything is different or better. It's just an exposure to another way of doing things that works. That works. works it works and human well-being is improved happiness improved crime decreased health improved education improved it's um so basically he goes to a bunch of different countries all in all in in europe right not all uh, oh no he was in north africa but most of the countries are in europe and he goes to each country and he goes to claim some one or two really cool things they're doing as American. He's like, I'm going to claim this. He plants his flag down and says, we're taking this for America. Yeah, It's a spoof on our idea that we go other places and take resources. So he's saying, okay, <laughs> listen, just let me go to these other countries and I'll plunder uh, the things of value. So what he finds when he gets to these places that he wants to plunder are things that are going to rock your road as we discussed. Them. And there are things that often in discussion <clears throat> with the average American people say that just can't work here or that's socialist or you know that works in little countries but it can't work in a country like ours and and that gets to the very root of one of my most my biggest pet peeves which is you know we in America are one of the only countries I mean we've traveled a lot and we have a lot of friends and acquaintances from different countries I mean from Israel to Mexico to Costa Rica to Thailand to Geneva to Australia we've we know a lot of people and we've had discussions with a lot of people and as far as I can see America is one of the only places in the world where its citizens claim that it's the best country in the world hmm. um, now don't get me wrong people have 
pride in their country and where they're from and, you know, are proud of, you know, their their cultural roots and their food and, you know, their history. But to claim as the best, America is one, uh, the USA is one of the only places <clears throat> where I've encountered such a thing where we're brainwashed into believing that we are the best country in the world. And if you say anything to the contrary, the response is usually, well, go somewhere else then. You yeah, know? We're, we're very simplistic. Yeah, we're blinded by propaganda, um, kind of the opposite propaganda that Michael, Michael Moore touts, <laughs> um, narcissism and patriotism. You know, that's we're, a big one. We're stuck inside of our own frame. We can't step back, and that's what this movie does. It allows us to step back and say, what are these countries doing differently than we're doing that's actually working. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of fantastic things about America. I love a lot about America. Yeah. We do have a lot of freedom and we've got, you know, women have got almost equal rights and there's, a, there's a, but there's a lot of um, opportunity and there's a lot of um, choices and there's, there's a, a, a ton of great things about America. You know but what I like about America? What? Sidewalks. They're ubiquitous. <laughs> I've been in a lot of countries where there are no sidewalks. Yeah. <laughs> like addresses. Or oh, oh, addresses. <laughs> countries without addresses. Jeez, that bothers me. Right. But there are also a lot of good things about other countries. Absolutely. And so what this film does is show us those other things. For sure. For sure. Um, and, and it doesn't say, it, the film doesn't say, oh, yeah, these other countries have no problems. He's basically, he is, he's cherry picking the best things from each and country, but it. showing us that it's possible. He says it, he he says says it, it. In, the, in, in the voiceover. He says, listen, I'm here to pick the roses. Mm -hmm. he's not, he, he, he makes it plain. People have, countries have problems. And mm -hmm. one of the countries he goes to, which we'll get to at the end, is Iceland. And they have some major problems, which he talks about and compares their response to those major problems to our response to major problems. Right. Uh, problems are everywhere. Uh, our reactions to problems is what he's, he's, he's really looking at. Our ways of approaching uh, objectives. And I don't know how a person can leave this film without at least a respect for the concept that uh, there are ideas in other places that are valuable. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. We are not the best at everything. Mm -hmm. And so, in some ways, we are the worst. So let's just go, we'll get into it. The first place he visits in the film is- Wayne took much better notes than I did. Is Italy. He goes to Italy. I totally wanted to move to Italy as soon as I saw this. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to want to experience the way these people are living it's hard and, and it, which is that's even crazier about this film he's not making the argument that we should leave mm -hmm. and i'm a real abandoned abandoned uh, my, my posture has been to abandon this place because of you're a deserter I, I am i am we're gonna get to we're gonna get to that in a moment but he starts off in italy and the first way he wants to introduce us to the difference between the way many Italians are living and the way we are is to introduce us to a couple. They're a middle of the road couple. One uh, is a, I forget what the. She's a purchaser for a department store. And the husband. I don't remember. He does something else. But what? a very, just a normal. Yeah. Not a teacher, but something like that. Regular, normal people. So he They're just, not rich. No, no, no. They're very middle class. Yeah. So he starts asking them about their lives, and they begin to say things that sound very different than the average middle class American ex experience. So what f comes up first is the idea that they vacation constantly. So he gets into, wait a minute, how many days do you have, how many days of paid vacation do you get per year? It was like 35. 
It turned out to be eight weeks of paid vacation. Twelve national holidays. Which is added. Yeah, 12. Was that added? Was that part of the eight weeks? Whatever it was, it was ridiculous. No, eight weeks was including the national holidays. including the national holidays. Uh, But then they remember they said they have a 13th month, they call it. So in December, they get paid twice. Yeah. Two month salary in one month. <laughs> because your one through, you know, your January through December salary is for bills and stuff. <laughs> but how can you afford to like go on vacation with your vacation days if you don't have any money? Left this over? is literally what they're saying. And they're saying, and it's a normal thing. It's not just for them. It's, Everyone gets It's this. expected. This is by Like law. a lunch break. It's by law. Yeah. The corporations do this. They pay you a 13th month. I don't, they, know. I don't they, know if that's true. They didn't say it was by I law. It was mandated. I d- I think the vacation it. days were mandated. I don't remember about the 13th month. I think she said it was typical, but I don't think mm. that was mandated. Okay, that might not have been made so clear. We'll have to look that up. Uh, but then I thought it was interesting. If you don't take your vacation days, they roll over. Yeah. So the husband had something like 80-something 80 80. paid vacation days yeah. to take. Oh, and then when you get married, <laughs> they give you three weeks, 15 work days to honeymoon to be together. Yeah. Five months of paid maternity leave with the option to take more. (laughs) And either the man or the woman could take it. Actually, the woman is mandated. She can take five months, but there's another few months that either the man or the woman could take. And that's something here that just doesn't exist. I think we have six, six or eight weeks. I can't remember. And not all of it is fully paid. Like you have to do disability and long term this and that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think everybody gets paid during maternity. No, no. He said he said it's not oh, okay. the law that you get paid here. For right, like right. I happen no to work for a really mandated. good company. I yeah. work for a great company, so I kind of forget what the the law is. I work for a company that gives you however many weeks and right. a certain number of vacation days. But he did say that vacation days are not guaranteed by law in the U.S. We're only one of two countries. They don't have it. At New all. Guinea. Was that wait? Was that that? That was something else. Oh, okay. That was something. But they went. They in, not. He didn't only interview workers to get their perspective. Mm. He interviewed um, CEOs, CEOs, and owners of these companies. Ducati. Ducati and another company that provided. and a company that that um, they manufacture all the clothes for like Gucci and all those high end right. places. So a big manufacturer, and those people reported that they didn't have any issue with it. They had no problem with the employees having that kind of life. And actually something else came up right as they're discussing this uh, lunchtime hit in the film. And it turns out that those people get two hour lunch breaks. A bell rings and everybody files out. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Everybody puts stuff down and and they walk out. And a lot of them take a cab or walk home and have a two hour lunch break with their family. Everybody does it. And Daily, was, and, and, every day. And my first thought was, I work for a financial institution where, you know, in California, we are guaranteed a 30-minute lunch and two 15-minute breaks by law. And I would say maybe 15% of my floor, we probably have 50 people on my floor, 15 people, 15% of the people take a regular lunch break. Because it's almost seen as, it's, oh, you take a lunch every day, you're like lazy or you're like <laughs> taking advantage of the system. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the culture around yeah. working here and that's, that's a the, lot different. That's the biggest difference. Like I, when I, we're about to take a two week vacation in March, we haven't taken more than five days of vacation. I haven't in over two years, I think. I have like over a month of vacation stacked up. But it's because I, it, it's like there's this feeling around 
<clears throat> being lazy or taking advantage, even though it's mine. There's tons of, there's a guy at work, Justin, who is, he has to take, he's had to take every other Friday off for like the last two months because it's use it or lose it. He's had, uh, he has so much vacation time stacked up yeah. that he's about to start losing it. It's a culture around, you know, being ashamed of taking time off of work. So you've got a culture that <clears throat> says it's an irresponsible thing to take time off. Right. Well, they have a culture that says it's the only responsible thing to do is to take as much time off as possible. Right. And that's to a corporate stress and, increase and happiness. societal culture. Right. They all believe that to be true. So everybody does it. Right. Turns out their employees get. They have less sickness than we have. Less sick days are ever taken. Yeah, they started going around the factory floor and asking, when's the last time you needed a sick day? And they were like, well, why day. would I need a sick day? I right. take three weeks off in the summertime and I hang out by the sea and the sun. And it, you know, that, the that prevents me from the getting sun sick. The is good for me. Yeah. Right. They've got the highest life expectancy in the world. They're, the CEO of Ducati, this guy named Claudio, was talking about how for them, profit and well-being don't clash. Mm. The, 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 the need to get a profit and the need for everyone to be well don't have to clash. And, and the thing, the thought that came up with me is I work for a, a global company where we have offices in Europe and the U.S. and Asia. And, you know, in the U.S., we have an eight hour workday plus, you know, your half hour break in 15. So actually, it's a nine hour workday. We have a lot less vacation time. Our maternity time is a lot like in the U.K. Women can take a year off when they after they have a baby they have way more vacation days women at your company in the uk yeah wow no it's mandated by yeah, law that's right, right, right so right. our company has to abide by the law of that country yet for me i would think it, i mean whatever maybe an idea i'm an idealist but if i'm on the management committee i am going to hold all of my eight thousand employees accountable to the same laws like so i feel like the loosest law or like the most uh whatever law everybody should so it's like just because the u.s says that i only get whatever six weeks of maternity leave that's what you get mm. but your co-worker who does the exact same job in the uk yeah. she gets a year they have a seven hour work day what is we this? have an eight hour work day when people come over from london to come work in my office they leave an hour before we all do really yeah they don't. They don't adapt to what you do here. No. Oh, they're still employees in London. Yeah. Forget about that. That's interesting. So it's like, wh why would your or, company or, or, not or, make? In Hong Kong, for example, like their maternity leave is much shorter, even shorter than in the U.S. And they, we actually basically had to be like, you guys can take a little longer. Like we're giving leeway, and it's like, oh, you know, maybe you should take more than four. We had, they, we had like fight. That the that they could like the company would give them more, because Hong Kong mandated less. It's like so why not give fought for Hong Kong to get the same treatment as the U.S. But they don't fight yeah. for the U.S. to get the same treatment as the U.K. Right, just because it felt because it was less than the U.S. Then threshold, it, it wasn't was good enough. Ah, you know what I mean? Our it, threshold is the threshold. So what is when it's more when when the companies when the culture when the country mandates? It's almost like people, oh, those Europeans. Oh, they look at it as all their. Yeah, I, I've like. never heard it said out loud, but that's kind of like, it's kind of like when you hear when it, when when universal healthcare, like for example, in the UK, they have universal healthcare. You'll, I mean, it's rare in a in a conversation about universal healthcare with an American where they don't go, oh, but their healthcare really sucks. Right. I was just at a dinner a month ago with some colleagues from London, and that's the question I asked with a, with a person that makes 
probably 12 times as much money as I do. I said, you know, you live in the UK, you know, you have a lot of money, yet there's still certain things like you, for example, if you um, are really sick, you are, you have to go to the what I can't remember what it's called. You have to do whatever the universal health care is. Yeah. And then if you have extra insurance, like you can also get private insurance, but you have to go to the regular provider first, like right. the whatever the whatever provider is. And then you go. And he was like, it's fine. <laughs> and this no is a deal. person who has lived there for a long time. I have a lot of friends in London. I don't have any friends in London who are like struggling because of their health because they're have to do universal health care. Right. I mean, that's a, that's an American, that's American shade we throw on it. There's no way it can work because here we say it can't work. So there's no way it can work somewhere else. Yeah. Especially in a place like, I mean, it's easy to say that about some little baby country like Tunisia or yeah. Estonia or whatever, yeah. these little countries with like 12 people compared to what we have. But when it works in a place like the UK, yeah. Portugal. I mean, these larger developed make, places, yeah, it's hard, it's to, hard to make the argument. They can't have it here because they have it there. And it works and people aren't it dying. Works. And in fact, their life expectancy is longer. Yeah. Some of the longest in the world. Right. Uh, Italy and has one really, of the longest. What do they say about Italy? Yeah. Uh, great life expectancy. Highest life expectancy in the world. Mm-hmm. They live at least four years longer than people in the U.S. Universal health care. And you got to, you Free know, healthcare. in this particular subject matter of the healthcare, he goes into great detail in Sicko, uh, his film Sicko, about this specifically and how other countries deal with healthcare uh, relative to how we do it. Now, before he leaves Italy, he... He goes, he starts talking to some of those owners of the companies or, or upper management or CEOs or whatever they were at the manufacturing company. And he says, listen, guys, don't you get that if you make them work harder and longer and give them less breaks and less vacation, you'll make more money. And this was the response of people who are the elite <laughs> at of the that top. country. They literally said these words. I wrote it down in a theater, turned my phone on and wrote this down. She said, one of the ladies says, what is the point of being richer? Like you got to think about that for a second. An elite person saying, what's the point of having more than I have now? She says, I'd rather be friends with the workers. I'd rather be around people that are happy to be where they are as opposed to making them less happy so I can have more that doesn't do anything for me. Right. And then How I many have, Bentleys can you have? She was really discussing the social and economic stratification that we have here. What's right. the point of stratifying your society is what she's saying. Right. Why not everybody be equal? Isn't there value to equality? And she started to go into what those, what that value is, what it feels like to be in a place that's a little bit more egalitarian. And it, I, it just struck me that a rich person was saying, there's no point to being richer than I already am. And that's that's something that's missing here. Yeah, she here, finds value in being able to walk up to her employees. How's your mother? Knowing. Knowing those employees. Because she doesn't have to hide Having a real relationship, right. Because she makes 300 times as much as they do in their lives suck because of the way that she treats them. It's not that way there. And I, th- I thought, what the fuck am I doing in America? And this is the first country he visited. Right. I was I, like, yes, the first, more vacation days, I, I, shorter work. <laughs> and this is the beginning. I mean, get ready. Get ready. To oh, have they have a shorter all, work week, too. Uh, yeah, I think they worked uh, 30-something hours. Just get ready to, 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 to really question why everything that we do here is the way that it is. I immediately started thinking, what were my parents thinking? And we haven't even gotten to the stuff that's really... I, I think mean, a lot of people don't know. Or they convince themselves that it's bullshit. Hmm. I will like 
So even myself, I am like a diehard, liberal, progressive, whatever you want to call it. I remember we were in Costa Rica three years ago for New Year's. And we were like toward the end of our trip and we were in this little hostel um, in Manuel Antonio near the jungle. And you were sleeping in. We probably drank too much the night before. You were sleeping in. I got up kind of early that day and I was feeling real, you know, hippie-ish. And I sat on... I sat on the deck overlooking the beautiful mountains and, and the ocean and I was writing in my journal and kind of recording what we have done and, and, and I, a couple was sitting there. They were probably in their 20s. Did you come out and talk to them too? I don't know. I don't remember exactly which I might have been. I might have been by myself. I can't remember. Wayne's refilling on vodka because he's just so overwhelmed. Right just now, kidding. It's actually, it's bubble water. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm eating my breakfast and I'm talking to them and I, they're speaking English, but they've got an accent. So I say, you know, where are you from? Oh, we're from Norway. Yada, yada. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, I have family from Norway and we're chit-chatting. I'm like, so what do you guys do? They're like, oh, you know, we don't work. We are in college. I'm thinking like, how the hell do you afford a vacation to Costa Rica from Norway and you're in college? Mm -hmm. They're like, well, um, we get a stipend for going to school. And I said, wait, huh? (laughs) They, they, yeah, they, they pay us to go to school. So the not only is education, pays. not only is it free, the college is free, but they give you money for living expenses and for vacation. This is free money, y'all. And I'm like, you know, what's the catch? Do you pay like 80% in taxes? And they're like, well, you know, we pay taxes, but like, we're sitting here in Costa Rica having a vacation. <laughs> like life is not bad. Right. They're happy. You know, they're like, well, it gets cold in the winter. Right. And that was like their only complaint. And I started asking them about crime and this and that. And I'm like, there's the, there's no downside to living in Norway except for the winter. Yeah. And how we are we here? How are we better than them? No. I don't. And that was the first time that I had actually, this was probably like three or four years ago that I had had a, like I had met people or whatever. That was our first kind of huge, vac- big vacation. But like where I met actual people who were the beneficiaries of a policy that America says can't work and is bullshit and it's working for them and they're happy and they're thriving. Yeah. It works. It works. The beneficiaries of social democracy, well-educated folks whose life is straight up just better than ours. Mm-hmm. Period. It just is. In every way that you can measure, they have a better existence than we do. All right. Next, next country. Okay. So next, he goes. How long have we been? Re- we got to keep our eye on the time. So okay. this is not a four-hour podcast. <laughs> right. So the next next country he goes to is France, and what he what he decides to shine the light on in France yes. is the difference between the way their children are fed at school. Oh my god. And the way our children are fed at school. So we visit a an elementary school or junior high school. No, but it's funny because the first scene is the camera on the kitchen. Yeah. And oh, it yes. looks like like a four star restaurant, you know, a Michelin rated kitchen. And it turns out they're just preparing lunch for their for elementary ride. school children. Yeah, they were kids. Insane. Using real plates, real silverware. The uh, chefs, the, the the chefs. I call them yeah, whatever you call they them. They were cooks, chefs. Serve the food to the kids. They said that lunch. It wasn't twenty minutes where the kids have to shove the food down it their throat like an America. Hour. It was a class. Yeah, they said they consider lunch to be a class where they teach you how nutrition. To eat how to share, teach you about food. They drink water. The kids serve each kids other. Kids are required to serve each other. <laughs> that day he was there, they were serving lamb skewers over chicken. The kids were sharing lamb their ice cream. Over couscous. 
over couscous. The kids were sharing their ice cream. Cheese, course, yeah. appetizer. So Michael Moore pulls up some pictures of what kids in America eat because he has one of the daughters or something of, of someone working on the film uh, was going to school in Boston and she just took pictures of what she was being served. And he showed them to the kids school. and they were hor- I mean, they were they like couldn't gagging. couldn't identify what the stuff was. And when he showed those same pictures to the chef, his response was, these poor children. Yeah, that made me really emotional. He literally saw this as like abuse. It's like us looking at you know, kids in Africa starving yeah. with their bellies. That's how out. he looked at public school. He felt food sorry for us in America. And you know, I have to say, this is embarrassing, but my first thought is, oh, this has to be a private school. This has to be the anomaly. Oh yeah. This there's no way that they're serving children in all of France this food. And he he sh- he just he shat on it. That. He, was, he like, was like, we after this, and this school was a very diverse school. There's black kids, yeah. white kids, there's yeah. all kinds of different color kids. It wasn't like a whatever. But he then goes, he basically was like, he had the same thought or knew that we would, and yeah. he said, I went to the poorest neighborhood and the poorest school, and they were eating the same thing. He showed us their menu. Here we and go. I was egalitarianism. like, what in the hell? There's no way because in this country. We're taught we're, there's scarcity, and there's no way with all we're these people. That there's scarcity. Yeah, there, there's really no way happened. with all these people that we could feed children and, real food. And this is the shit that that just daggered it at the end. He said, "And they pay less per student for food than we do." Yeah, it's like think about that for a second. We eat trash, we eat trash. and pay more than them eating five star four course meals for lunch. We get horrible health outcomes and pay more than they do paying nothing. Their children felt sorry for our kids. It is, ho- we are in a horrible state and we don't know it. He, 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 he knows that we're going to look at that and think, oh, but they pay more taxes. It sucks. So he does like this little great uh, uh, illustration of how much tax they pay to get what they get. And he shows some of the stuff that, 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 so he starts off by saying, okay, here's what Americans pay, what percentage of their income for the things that they get. And then he says, okay, well, France, they do pay a little bit more than we do, like slightly. And here's what they get. I mean, like, throws up like everything. Like free edge. I mean, a little tiny little bit. They get free education. So they get everything this, we get. Free at. Free, plus. Yeah, just, uh, just a shit ton of everything that make your life great. Free education, free nursing homes for the old. All that shit. They get it. And then he says, you know, we don't, we end up paying extra for all those things that they get. And Healthcare. we just don't call it a tax. Yeah. Oh, it's a tax. But we it is call, mandatory. But we don't call it that. Right. So we end up paying so much more than they do. Like four times the amount. A, to get way less than they get. To get what they already have. Yeah. And, and it, it was such a, what an illustration. My it's thought a, after that was, do you know what a true democracy would be? What? And this is maybe it's a dumb thought. If we could choose individually where our tax dollars went, because in that illustration, he told us that 60%, Mm. 60% of our income taxes go to military. 60. Military spending. 60. And I was thinking, what if on our tax returns at the bottom, you got to fill in a bubble and choose where where your money goes. (laughs) That's a true democracy. Yeah. It should. We so should if be. you wanted to go to the military, yeah. go ahead and put 100%. I'm putting 15%. 
Yeah, I'm actually putting zero. Bec- and I say that because of how much has been put there already. Well, we can yeah. liquidate all of everything that's the, all of our equipment that's outside of the country being used on it at, at uh, on uh, offensive maneuvers outside of our country right. and sell it all and do nothing but like Costa Rica Coast Guard. How about you actually come home and work in defense of this place <laughs> as opposed to building you know, bases all over the planet and having offensive measures everywhere. Right. I was thinking about that. Um, he ain't spit on us. That that really good, that part of when he talked about the taxes really got me thinking about our military and defense and all of this stuff. And if you try to talk to people about the military, they get very defensive. You know, our military makes sure we're free and da 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 da. But I think about other countries who don't i mean we by far and every there's not one semi-thinking american that will say we don't have the world's strongest and uh, most present military i mean in all of the world yeah i mean by double triple quadruple whatever i don't feel any safer than say portugal australia Iceland, Every Finland, we visited Italy, Canada. I don't feel any Costa less safe. And, and, and I don't feel any less, any more free than any of those countries. We're getting nothing for that money. So what are we getting for the 60% of income? I mean, I paid, I looked, I paid something like $40,000 in income tax this year. So that means something like twenty-two, $23,000 of my hard-earned money went to the military. That's right. So that guy- And I'm no home. more free- and no more safe None. than damn near half the countries on this planet. Yeah. This is true. This is brainwashing. Yeah. Brain we have to have this military. We have to have drones. We have to have nuclear bombs. We have I, I now I I'm not I wouldn't go as far as Wayne. No, no, I, in, I'm, in saying that I wouldn't spend anymore. Now, I get it. Today, I th- because I think we could liquidate uh, physical assets. I get it. And turn that into the budget for the next 10 years if all it. we're doing is protecting shores. Yeah, but I just want to make the listeners aware that I'm not this anti-military, anti, I'm not, that's not me. I are don't you, have a, I don't have a vendetta against the military. Are you anti? I do have a problem with us spending 60% of tax dollars plus all kinds of money we don't have Yeah, on something that's just not real. Let's solve. I mean, there is a point. I mean, maybe I should wait till that. Wait till the end. I'll, I'll wait till the end to make this last statement. But next country. Yeah. Well, before he leaves France, he just does a little piece. He goes into a classroom where a teacher is talking about sex education, and she's approaching it very differently than we do. She's saying, "Listen, this is what you should do. Tell your partner what you want to make it a wonderful experience." I mean, they're very open with sex. <laughs> None of the kids are giggling. Yeah, it's just like okay, sex is part of life. You know, when the only time they giggled was when they Michael about Moore asked, asked about a abstinence. Yeah, they like, all giggled what? like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And it turns out we have have way 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 more teen pregnancy than they do like twice so, two or three times the number so once again once again once again our approach is not working our approach is not working at all so he moves on next to finland and i thought this was interesting they have the highest educational results um, Pretty the much world. the best education system best in, the education world. in the world i'm not sure exactly how that's measured i was but, wondering the same thing um but it turns out they have the best educational results on them. And they, we actually were at the same level in the 60s, the right. United States and Finland, and they, they were they embarrassed. Like us. And we were in the bottom 20%, which we still are in. Yeah, we didn't move, but they did. They got, they went from the bottom 20 to 100, to the top. One. And by year 2000. 
So right. 40 years, they went to number one. In 40 years, we did nothing. And one of the first things he recognized about what they're doing is that their students don't have homework. homework. Homework doesn't exist for them. Now, if you're a teacher in America listening to this right now, you can't understand what the hell we're talking about because homework is so central to what we do. Right. And they don't have it at all. It doesn't exist. Get their outcomes. I mean, are, that goes along with the same kind of cultural value that America has, which is the harder you work, the more you work, the more value you have as a person. And that's challenging. And homework in every is way. in the same vein as that. Yeah. The more you do, the better you'll do. And looking at Finland, we realize um, that may not, not may not, it's actually not the case. And the teachers were like, so they asked principals and teachers and all these, so what, what do the kids do? They're like, play. So they've got other things to do. Form they relationships. Play sports, read, be with family, climb trees. And he asked, like, so they climb trees and what, what's the benefit of that? They'll come back home having, they, they, they'll come back to school having discovered a new worm Insect. or something and, <laughs> and have something to talk about. But they saw those things as having value. Value and play. And somehow even, I don't know exactly how we measure um, educational outcomes. They have no standardized tests there. They don't even have standardized testing, but they're still outperforming students in the U.S. By far, by 80%. That's unbelievable. Even, I think the kids spend 20 hours a week in school. Oh, Including and lunch. The other thing was, they were talking about education, and they talked about how um, there's no such thing as moving to a new neighborhood and trying to find the best school. Yeah. There's no such thing as a private school. Yeah. Basically, they were saying every single school is the same regardless of income in that neighborhood, right. regardless of how, quote, good or bad the neighborhood is. It's the same. Every school has the exact same resources, right. the same curriculum, the same everything. And so that there is no disparity. You know, money can't buy you a better education. It. It's just good education around everywhere. Uh, yeah. And that moved me. Yeah. And, you know, they again, that was another time where they, you know, they kind of did a close up on the teachers. And it was like they felt horrible for our children yeah they were like yeah there's no such thing as a school like not having books or like having a lot less than another school just because kids have money and then they also talked about the value of rich kids going to schools with mm, poor kids here we're back to this egalitarian theme again and how it teaches people to get along and how to you know value other human beings regardless of how much money they have because you have to go to a school where there's going to be poor kids and they said these kids grow up and it's hard for them to make laws that shit on the people that are their best friends because they can relate they were never separated mm -hmm socially separated or economically separated from everybody else it didn't right. work that way everyone had what everyone else had as far as education was concerned and you were in mixed company at all times this economic and social stratification that we have here this giant wealth gap this this idea that we think is positive that there that we have social mobility the american dream the idea that the dream exists that you can move from one caste to another it's just evidence that we have these different casts. Right. It's not it's not a positive thing. The idea that someone can come from shit to being rich, that's not positive. Right. We think of it as ascension and therefore it's a it's a positive progression. But when you look at these people who have egalitarian existences, it's not positive. Right. I never knew before so I came from a 
what used to be known as a middle class family, which is probably like bumped up a few notches in the last few economic years. But I went to I went to I went to a very small private Christian school till I was in eighth grade. Nobody there was rich. It was just a, a like a Lutheran school. And then ninth grade and beyond, I went to a public school. And I never knew anyone who went to like a boarding school or a private school. And it wasn't until I started working where I work now where I see how hard people with money have to work and how much effort they put into into getting their kids in good private schools. Like mm. it's like, it's not even an option to go to a public school, number one. Yeah. But even the private schools, there's this like hierarchy. People, when their children are one year old, they're babies, they can't even walk or speak a word. They're already applying to preschools. Yeah. Parents are interviewing with schools. And I'm like, wait, what? Huh? I mean, we Wayne and I have decided not to have children. And it's in times like this where I'm like, thank God. <laughs> it's like the education system is so fractured and terrible here that you have to start number one you have to have money to do it but when your child can't even like walk or speak a word you're already trying to get them interviews yeah for a preschool that's happening in three or four years and it's what like that insane is, what that is is you're racing to get an advantage right right and we're visiting a country right now finland where there is no advantage right where everyone has the same chances, where everyone is given the same opportunity, where everyone has equal access to everything. That's socialism. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking commies. <laughs> so Finland's get up. Finland ends up. They have the shortest uh, school days and the shortest school year. They don't have multiple no choice tests. Uh, the teachers report that school is about finding your happiness. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the, one of the teachers said children should be baking and going on nature walks. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Anything they, that can stimulate their brain. It's illegal there for a school to charge tuition. Right. I thought that was interesting. Um, I thought it was cool. The, the kid who was in high school who had studied abroad in America for a year, he couldn't wait to get back home. Yeah, he was saying, like, his, we're treated like adults here. He said, we don't have to ask to go use the restroom in the middle of class. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> we have to use the restroom, we just go. The teachers were saying that they, they their goal was to teach them to think for themselves and to be critical and to be happy. Mm. And Michael Moore asked the teacher that said that, well, well, what is your, you want, to, you want the students to be happy? What's your subject? And the teacher said math. Math. <laughs> <laughs> so the math teacher wants the kids to be happy and have a happy life. That's literally what he said is his objective, to be happy and have a happy life. Now, if you're a math teacher in America, I need you to think about that for a minute. <laughs> because the odds are that's not your goal as a teacher. Right. And I taught in LAUSD for a long time. And it was never my goal either. Mm. what was it obedience to, oh there's so many they give you so many goals obedience and good grades yeah, i mean when they when i was just in training to get into the classroom you know uh they made it seem like my goal was to not have a lawsuit thrown at me like one oh, of the first no rules i had was no. don't ever physically touch a student ever no hugging no so it's like it's it it no so different of a philosophy pass. you know i broke a lot of those rules and that's why <laughs> i didn't last there but it, it just this this was in stark contrast to what I've experienced. So that's Finland. Um, it ends with with uh, the last interview in Finland is a principal that makes a statement. He asks her, "What do you want for the children?" She says, "I want children to play." And this is the country that has the best educational outcomes in the world. It's something to think about. All right. Next, he goes to Slovenia, where he visits a university, and it turns out that. 
college university is free not only for slovenians but for anyone but for any person interviewed who a bunch steps of Americans anywhere near their school school is free university is free and one of our one of our friends was talking about this in germany it's that way in germany as well mm-hmm. um topher mentioned it mm. he was thinking about going to germany to go to school because it's free i am you know one of the persons who in you know in in deciding to do a lot of education here in the states i've racked up incredible amounts of debt and he asked someone he asked a pair of students in slovenia are you guys in debt and they asked him well what does that mean he they didn't know what, they didn't what know. the word debt meant they didn't understand what it actually meant he said well that means like owing someone a lot of money because you've gone to school like, and they oh. laughed they're like oh no 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 that doesn't work that way <laughs> no 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 like the, our 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 concepts and our ways of being are completely foreign foreign like the fact that you have to pay for school, what the, yeah. that's like a, it's like a God-given right. See, in healthcare, I, God-given yeah, right. They don't even think of it as something that can be charged. It's like the way we think about air. Yeah. We don't think that anyone could charge us for air. Or we, for yeah. We would. Or we for, would, for the fire part department to come, or when you call a cop, it's the same thing. We think of those things as like a right. We have a right to those, and they think of it in the same way. I watching that it was. It's really unfortunate. Our country says it's positive for us to go to school, and I went that route. I went and did a lot of higher education, and because of that, I owe like you know two hundred grand. Two. Do we have sound effects? Sound effects? No. <laughs> two hundred thousand dollars I owe, and these kids out there owe zero. Nothing. Nada, and they could say that in like ten languages. <laughs> I can say it in two. They, at one point in that country, the government tried to, or some, someone tried to start charging tuition, and the students protested for nine months. There was some organization that had 40 or 50 members, and not only did they stop the government from charging tuition, they brought down the entire government and put in a new one. The whole thing. And guess what? The Nobody I- killed or shot or imprisoned the protesters. <laughs> they put enough pressure for nine months that it went back to the way they wanted it to be. No charge ever for education. And it wasn't a lone incident. They started. He started showing clips from like four or five other countries where the same thing had happened with students. Yeah, people were like, no, 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 it's not going to work because this Slovenia is not the Slovenia, right? This, yeah, that was, was not, Slovenia. Is not the only country that provides higher education for free. He listed about oh yeah about thirty something countries. Tons. Including Norway, where our and, friends from right. in Costa Rica. There's so many, and I wanted to pause the film there and just take a screenshot so <laughs> yeah. I could figure out. A surprise! You take a picture. Tell all my friends, like, hey, you know, you guys got kids, you might want to move to one of those countries where that shit is free, because right. this shit is heavy. This is, I mean, in America, you can't write this debt off either. It's I can't even go bankrupt right. and get rid of this shit. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. Right. They revolt to keep education free, and they pay taxes. But their ta- you know, their taxes don't go. To building a fucking city called a called an army base in Iraq, Guantanamo. That's where it doesn't. Yeah, so their tax money, money is just being allocated in different ways. Very than ours. differently than ours. Okay, so he moves on to Germany, uh, where they have a thriving <sighs> middle class, where this the work week the is thirty six hours a week. Uh, he goes to a factory, and the workers all laugh at him when they ask, "Does anyone have a second job?" Everyone in the room owned a home. They're like, "Second job? You're crazy." This pencil is a country, factory. and this, this, it was a pencil factory. This really hit me. He said, this is a place where any stressed out German, say you're at oh, work and you're stressed out and you're getting kind of, you know, overwhelmed. You can go to your doctor and get a prescription. Now listen to this. <laughs> this is anyone. This is not an anomaly. To, yeah. Anyone can get this. A prescription to go to the spa for three weeks. 
A live-in spa for three weeks with your children. With your kids, a live-in massage, yoga, meals, sleeping, all of it. Exercise, the work in a beautiful place. I mean, you. I don't think you could even ask any non-naturopath doctor in America this question and get a different response. Everybody knows that stress causes disease, sickness, shorter lifespan. Yeah. But Why are have, we not doing anything about it? We don't give a fuck. There's no money in it. Mm. Yeah. So they spend money to minimize the stress of their citizens. Mm. It's in their benefit. That's what they said. They said the government sees this preventive measure as cheaper than having people just break down because they're overworked and stressed the fuck out. The one, the thing about, you're probably going to get to this next, about the Holocaust. Not yet. Not right, yet. So you, you'd probably ask yourself, how the hell do you get to a place where an employee can say, I'm tired of this shit and I need three weeks at the spa? <laughs> and turns I out got to, I get to that about two, three times a year. Well, not, not so much. Not so much. How does an employee get tired? But how do you get to a point where your country says, mm-hmm. OK, cool, go to the spa for three weeks on us? Yeah. The, a lawmaker had to make that law. And, People had to pass that law. And here's how this that is not happened. a dictatorship. This is not a revolt. Yeah. This is something that a politician voted on. A majority, and they they passed it. He goes into an explanation of how some of this stuff came into being. So by law, watch this now. By law, companies have governing boards, which must be made up. 50% of that board must be workers. Mm -hmm. Workers in the corporation have 50% say on the boards of those companies. And they're not... What I thought was interesting is they're not enemies of the people that work uh, that are in charge of the company. No, they have to be cooperative. They're, they're cooperative, and the and I remember that one, the pencil place, the whatever yeah. he was, not the CEO, whatever he yeah, was, yeah, was the upper management guy. Michael Moore's like, so these are these people are irritating, right? Like, he was you like, wish no. they weren't there, and he's like, no, no in fact, they contribute ideas. some of our best ideas. This is the only. He's way. like, you're just saying that, right? Because the care. He's like, <laughs> no, like these people. They help make us better. He said listening to the employees is critical for success. Right. That was his posture. Right. So uh, <laughs> it go on to express the other ways that really. And this highlight. is a pencil, a giant pencil company. Right. Basically every, I can't remember what it was called, but it's basically every pencil you look at in the U.S., any yellow pencil. One of those people. It's got the name on it. I can't remember what it is. I was like, oh, that's a German company. So it's a, this is a huge yeah. corporation. Yeah. And they're all doing well. One job. They all own homes, everything. So he goes on and it turns out that it is against the law for a company to contact an employee while they're on vacation or contact an employee by work, I mean, by email, after work. They have servers that block emails from managers to their employees after their quitting time. Think about that. The the government makes it illegal for you to have any of your private time interrupted by your workplace. That's insane. Well, what that is, is a, a country nationwide culture that well-being is a priority critical it's a priority. And, it's a priority. and we don't have that here mm. we I'm don't lucky have, I have nice bosses who oh don't my gosh we don't have that here i've had it before Ooh, america oh america what's what's what was obama's preacher's name when he was when he was campaigning oh God, right uh jeremiah right <sighs> god damn america <laughs> He should have had that dude's face in this movie fucking 10 times. God damn you, America. (laughs) 
Uh, so where are we? Germany. Germany. Oh, God, uh, the next part of Germany. You know, oh, the next piece is so huge. So he says, you know, That's Germany, when I started taking notes on when, this part. When that hit. Okay. Yeah. So after we get this this great bit of uh, egalitarianism in, in, in Germany <laughs> and workers being valued and your life being valued and well-being being valued, he says, listen, it hasn't always been this way. And he flashes to a scene of kids playing at this park and we realize <laughs> that it's Nuremberg and we've got he flashes back to a you know black and white video of Hitler up there and a you know thousands propaganda film. of people you know hail Hitler and, and we're instantly reminded yeah Germany has a fucked up past and my initial thought was like damn can't Germany just fucking like get over it? it's like why do we have to keep putting this on people? Oh, that was your initial. That was my initial reaction. Like, oh, wait, fuck! Why every why time? Why put it on Germany? No, but why every time we got to mention Germany, do we have to mention the Holocaust? That was my initial reaction. Okay. And Which then is when he and when he kept going, I was like, oh, that's why. So here's where he went with it. He said Germany's posture is to never forget and to highlight that this happened so that no one ever forgets that it happened. They it's don't in, repeat the history. It's in elementary, junior high, high school history books, the entire Holocaust. And they're upfront about it. Every they day they have to talk shit. about it. Every single day. And the student reported, a young man was saying, listen, my duty, my duty as a, as a citizen a is to make a future where this kind of shit Hitler is never possible again. Right. Where these atrocities cannot happen. The students, uh, the average student in their country sees it as their responsibility to never create the atrocities of the past. There's no, there's none of this, oh, I wasn't even alive then, why is this my problem? I mean, and as a matter of fact, they had these, they were showing these street signs in public areas that with oh, like yeah. these, these oh, facts that was fucking heavy fact after fact after fact about the holocaust and deaths and this and that in the sidewalks Remember in that? the sidewalks in, in front, front of, of homes, homes where jews were dragged out of their bricks homes. laid with were, engravings like yeah like the hollywood walk of fame like signs saying this family was dragged from this home and taken to a camp and murdered it's yeah. there on this home that you live in was once once belonged to somebody else recognize right. that you're benefiting from what happened to these people and it was like it was an honest guilt yeah it was a recognition of the benefit gained of the horror yeah. that happened it was it was fucking honest and i couldn't help well tell me what your response was well my first thought was the the phrase never forget mm. and if you ask anyone who you know is 25 and above 30 and above and who knows anything about anything they would the, when i say never forget what do, what do you think of what american incident oh uh 9-11 exactly so 9-11 where there's a couple thousand americans killed by a foreign attack especially of quote-unquote muslim whatever whoever did it muslim we have this policy of never forget we were attacked two thousand how two or three thousand people died three never forget Mm-hmm. Yet, millions upon millions of African slaves were killed in the name of slavery, and it's like, get over it. <laughs> right. I wasn't alive when right. it happened. It's not me. Then do it's it. It's not me. Go back to Africa. It's a complete. You know that's you know. There's no more racism. We have a black president. There's no accountability. Yeah. yeah. It's swept under the rug. There's no recognition of privilege. No recognition of privilege. And there was a quote um, 
this country, there's no recognition that this country, America, was born of genocide and built on the backs of slaves. That's right. We say nothing about our Native Americans. People that came over here slaughtered Native Americans in mass, like 90% of them, and now have siloed them into these little, con- like, basic concentration camps. I mean, I won't use that word because that has a different connotation, but they're siloed into these little places where they must operate. And now that they've got casinos, like everything's all good, apparently. <laughs> like, oh, we let them do this. So, you know, let's just pretend oh, it man. never happened. But the truth is, I mean, the, you're hard pressed to find more than two pages on slavery in a history book. And it's, it's I, we were, the thing that struck me most is that we're looking at high school students talk about it. And they, there was a young man whose skin was dark. He didn't say, he had a, he had like a a Middle Eastern name. They didn't say where he was from. He came from somewhere else, but he said he got, he had a a German citizenship. And he says, now that I have German nationality, it is also my responsibility. He he said something like, because I'm now a German, I have to take on not just the positive of Germany today, but the negative of Germany yesterday. I have to own that too and make, make amends. Yeah. I, he was like saying that he needed to make sure take on that posture as like the other. And this dudes. is a Middle Eastern kid, brown this skin, kid who would have been killed. I thought, he, I thought he might have been North African or something. Yeah, he looked Moroccan or something. And I was like, oh my goodness! Even he is like, I'm a, I'm gonna own a history of a country I had I literally had to nothing me, to do with. And I need patriot, to take that's real patriotism. But to me. it's more than that. It's no, but something no, else. it's. It's like it's like a it's an ownership. It's I've a, never seen that in America. Yeah, I've never seen. I, I thought about it. I said, let me go back to high school. What if my high school homies were like, were that open about how fucked up in this country had treated everybody else, and how they're recognizing that so much of their privilege is born of other people having to suffer? What would that have felt yeah. like to me instead of just feeling like a poor motherfucker who didn't have shit and right. felt bad for not having shit? Right. What the fuck would that have felt like? Right. I I was like, God damn. And I think what that encourages, though, it's it's a culture of not accepting responsibility here, here. Right. Yeah. So it's like, like it's even gone. like when I do something fucked up in my normal life, like I don't want to admit it. It feels right. bad to say I did something wrong or I I shouldn't have done that. It's like, ooh, let's just pretend like it didn't happen. It, right. That's why it feels so bad to admit when you're wrong. And them, they said that they acknowledge their dark side and they make amends. Right. They take steps to acknowledge it consistently to make sure right. and they repair the damage done. Yeah. And that's something. That's a culture. It's a great. How do you change that culture? Well, this this is, he doesn't answer that, but then he, he, he says he shows some of I the guess signs, an awareness of it some of the signs you mentioned the signs you mentioned so there in, in Germany you'll see signs like you know um, Jews unwanted and it'll be like a the date will be on there where where that sign was originally put up and what happened at this place like this was a whatever it was yeah. and he said what would that look like in America oh yeah <laughs> oh shit and it was just like he put he went no to the Blacks Federal allowed. Reserve and it was like some, it would, the signs would be unbelievable here in America but that was it was real. That's part of our history. Yeah. Institutions built on horrific shit that if we knew about it, we'd be so aghast. Then it made me flash back to this is, I mean, this is, and I, okay, I'm clearly, I'm white. You have no idea what I look like, but I have blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm as white as they get. And I'm married to an African American or black. What do you like to be called these days? Black. Black. Um, you know, medium to dark skinned black man from LA. And I grew up in a, pretty like I grew up kind of in a Mexican neighborhood and then I moved to Redondo but I have a lot of multicultural friends and I had never considered I went to I went to 
um, on my an East Coast trip when I was in eighth grade, and we visited Virginia and D.C. and New York, and got to kind of learn about American history hands on, which was pretty cool. But I remember visiting you know, the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island and looking for my family's name on the wall and, you know, how there's so much hype around Ellis Island and coming to America and immigrating. And I, Wayne uh, went with me a couple years ago to New York. I had a business trip and he came with me and he had never been to New York. And I was so excited to bring him down to like Battery Park and show him the Statue of Liberty and maybe go to Ellis Island. He's like, Ellis Island, like, why would you go there? And I'm thinking, and it just hit me in that moment. Wayne has no fucking reason to have any interest in Ellis Island. None of his relatives came here, immigrated here willingly. None. Through Ellis Island. There's no bird, you know, black bird, B-Y-R-D, on the wall at Ellis Island. None. I mean, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I was 30 something, 35 years old <laughs> when that reality hit me. And I had never thought about Ellis Island at all. And I'm like, Just I, never instant even... guilt, instant guilt hit me like, Oh my God, I need to get the fuck out of here. I cannot believe I brought Wayne to fucking Battery Park to look at LSI. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, feel, I didn't feel And I don't have like a racist bone in my body, or maybe I do that I don't know about, but like. It's just evidence. Th- th- it's it's that privilege. Our culture has hidden it. And not only that, but it's privilege that we don't, uh, we, white people, um, which are a majority of Americans, don't acknowledge. Yeah. And we just don't see it because it doesn't affect us. I was just, I mean, and I will never forget that moment. We were sitting on that bench and I was like, holy shit, none of Wayne's relatives came through this place. This has no significance to him. And that, What did the black kids in my class think? Yeah. Were they, I mean, they were young. They were 12 or 13. Were they thinking about this? Uh, the answer is no, because it wasn't in our fucking history books. Yeah. We were talking about slavery. And not only did we not come through Ellis Island, if you want to show what it looked like where oh, we came in. Yeah, stacks on stacks and the holes of ships where they would just they they would just basically coal a third they figure a third of you guys wouldn't survive the the numbers are the numbers are estimated 20 to 100 million thrown overboard died in the crossing itself i mean that's a tragedy can you imagine and that's a part of our american history that needs to never happen again if we were open and upfront about it Maybe. Do you think you feel have... better about it as a black Fuck yes. American if, Fuck if people yes. were like, here's what for would... hundreds of years we kept slaves and here's what would happen. I think all people would feel more akin to each other. Right. There's a separation, separation now because there's like a fuck that I ain't do shit. I'm Pull not... yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. I was poor too. I was a poor white guy too. I came you're... from the Appalachians. I had nothing. We're not acknowledging privilege. We're not acknowledging. Right. And not only that. You don't create empathy at a young age. So we get these assholes that become police officers, Mm. that become politicians, that become lawyers. We're not even to the prisons in Norway. Oh, we haven't even gotten there. We need to listen. listen. (laughs) (laughs) Empathy is created at a young age in that country. Yeah. So people don't grow up to be the type of assholes that would create the institutions that we have in America. Right, right. The institutional separations that we have in America. People don't have the discomfort with each other there that we have in America. Right. I still to this day walk down my street and see fear in people's faces. Mm. Fear. Why? Because we don't. We are separated. Right. And that, that's an issue. So where are we now? What country are we on? I don't know. You took better notes than me. Okay. So we're still in. Uh, I think we're finishing Germany. So anyway. Um, yeah, we're finishing. They Germany. acknowledge the dark side and make amends. We don't do that here, and it's 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 just amazing to see. Okay. So next he goes to Portugal, and uh, <laughs> the biggest thing that hits me in Portugal is he starts to look at the drug war. Um, 
Portugal used to have a drug war the way we have one here, uh, and they were losing it. So they decided, fuck that. Drugs will no longer be illegal. Well, they drug using drugs, use, not the dealing. Use, the use of drugs is not illegal. So in Norway, <laughs> it is no longer illegal to use any drug. And no Michael Moore is interviewing two policemen. He's, yeah, he's like, saying, so if I said I had 25 joints in my pocket, you wouldn't arrest me? They're like, they're no. Like, no. No one gets arrested for drugs. If I have a couple bags of cocaine, right? And he goes, makes the noise right now. He's like sniffing. Nothing. He's like, and you know, I what? have cocaine in my pockets right now. And they just look at him like, so <laughs> what do you think? And this is not, I, I thought this was more new than it actually yeah. is. It turns out. Drug drug use has been legal in Portugal for the last 15 years. They said not one person has gone to jail in Portugal in the last 15 years for using drugs. For the use of drugs. And what they uh, found is drug use has declined. Not since only that did happening. drug use go down once they legalized it, but drug-related crime has decreased. Did not increase. That's kind of that's kind of a well-known well, maybe not well known. Maybe with people who actually read that the war on drugs has created crime. That's like yeah, a well known oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fact, for right? For sure, for sure. For people who well, I, I imagine people that kind of. Yeah. So how do you how do you know prohibition created out knowing that fact? How do you continue the war on drugs knowing that it increases crime and death? How do you continue the war on drugs? Like well, who's Michael making Moore, that decision? Michael Moore posits a theory. He says, you know, when blacks were starting to stand oh, up. Oh, God. Yeah, it just this gets one. worse and worse and worse. So he said, he looks at America and says, when blacks started oh, standing sake. up to change the way America was discriminated against them. Black uh, Panthers. And he goes to the 60s. He took, looks at the Panthers. He looks at King. He looks at Martin. He looks at, he looks at the civil rights uh, uh, movement and all the efforts taken to change the lives of blacks in America. He, he, he then juxtaposes that with this heightened sensitivity around drugs and this drug war and he basically makes the point that america found another way to enslave blacks and make sure they couldn't vote to to get uh black folks out of the political process and he basically calls black prisoners in america uh, uh the, the nouveau slaves mm-hmm and he makes a great argument for it in a very succinct way. You got to watch the film. I think it's worth seeing that piece. Uh, and then he goes on to show that once these blacks are in prison for these these drug offenses, they become workers working for twenty cents an hour for companies like Victoria's Secret. I was stunned goes, by that. I didn't think that corporations could use free, basically free prison labor. I thought they were just stamping license plates and making that's government what I furniture. I thought this is fucking Victoria's Secret. Toys R Us, Microsoft. These they were they. Oh, it was. Uh, they had people in prison doing. Uh, what do you call it when you call in? Uh, you, uh, you call in for service on your computers and shit oh, like that. Oh yeah, customer support. Customer support. And they're basically working for twenty cents an hour. And corporations are taking great advantage. They're taking of advantage. That. They're lobbying. And, and many advantage. of these states, those guys get out of prison having having served their time, and they still can't vote. And so basically, the the one thing that was really striking was in these south eastern states, Florida, and all those surrounding areas where you have a lot of black people who would generally vote Democrat. South Carolina, North Carolina. They were saying that one in three black men cannot vote in those southern, southeastern states. For life. For life. Because, number one, so and this is interesting, um, and even me, again, who's a crazy liberal, um, yeah, of course prisoners can't vote. Of course. You have, like, no rights when you're a prisoner. 
Um, but, and I've always been, like, I never even thought of that as even being an option for a prisoner to be able to vote. When we, we learned in this movie that in many countries, prisoners can vote. They're still considered human beings. And they, and a part Portugal, of the process. they vote first. They vote, they vote first. So that was like, oh, damn, I just thought that's part of my paradigm, my, yeah. my American paradigm, is that, of course, prisoners can't vote. And they think about it for another layer there. They're We're talking about people. a lot of people who are gone to prison over drug crimes. Yes, for using drugs. Having done possession. nothing. We still would think you don't deserve to have a say in American because you smoked a joint, right? And then so beyond that, something that I've always been against is that even post prison, after you've served your agreed upon time, you still can't vote for the rest of your life. And so they're saying in these bottom, you know, these uh, bottom, these southern, southeastern, whatever, seven, eight, nine states, one in three black men can't vote. And because of that, and these are these are states where maybe thirty percent, what was it, thirty percent of the population the are black. Some, they have very high populations of, of, of black folks, but a third of them can't vote somehow. And so these states that would be typically Democrat are now majority Republican said, because the Democrats a, can't vote. He said, how do you turn a blue state red? In prison. In prison, all the black people. Right. And, you know, there's been, there's a lot, I mean, I've read a lot of things and heard a lot of things about the, you know, this new, the new Jim Crow. But it is, when you look at the numbers, it really is. They're imprisoning black people in mass. He makes an amazing... And they get taken out of the American process of voting, as if voting makes a fucking difference anyway. But still, they're completely out of the process. And he makes a great argument for it. Uh, that, was, that was a very moving piece. He closes out Portugal by uh, the police, basically. It's a couple cops that are being interviewed in, while he's there, ask him to come back just for a moment so they can say a few things to him. And one <laughs> of the things that one of the, one of the I think the drugs are also says this. He says, you know what? De- decriminalization is not enough. If you go back to America and just decriminalize drugs, he says, that ain't going to be it. You have to also boost up the way you approach um, healthcare. Healthcare. You have to. You have to help people. You have to decriminalize drug use and make it a mental health problem and not a criminal problem. And the police said, "We want to say one more thing to you." And he said, "Here, uh, police. The police were saying to Michael Moore, police are trained to respect the dignity of people, and they kept saying over and over, human dignity quote, is, is above the, all.' He, the quote was, "Human dignity is the backbone of our society." This is a police officer. And then he juxtaposes it with all these like, oh my God, these prison guards beating the shit out of people and and prison guards letting dogs bite people and stripping people naked and beating them. And it was just, I mean, things like that. Just not that, not saying they don't happen, but it's not a common occurrence in these other countries. In Portugal, the cops that they were interviewing and the way they approached uh, their jobs was very different from the way. It's even better in Norway. (laughs) Yeah, this. You talk about stark contrast. I unfortunately have to deal with some of the realities of police officers in America. These guys didn't feel anything like what I've experienced here at all. Okay, moving on. Next country he goes to Norway. We're giving away everything. I should have said at the beginning of this is like a uh, what do you um, call it? Not a. Uh, what do you call it? Would you? I'm giving away the whole film. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So we go to Norway. All right. So. Oh my gosh! We go to a prison, and it looks like in my dream home. Basically, <laughs> no. it's rolling hills and look overlooking a river. It's just what and what is going on? Prison there is all about creating good neighbors. Someone said they focus on rehab, not revenge. This particular prison where there were murderers and and, and rapists and everything. Yeah, there. I thought if my again in my American 
the bubble. I was like, oh, this must be, you know, a white collar prison, people who have, you know, committed tax fraud. And then, you know, they flash to a guy in the kitchen. It's like 11 year sentence for murder. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wait. He has a, that, that particular prison, 115 prisoners and four guards. <laughs> no, he's at four guards at, at the minimum. In nighttime, there's only four guards. During the day, there's more. But at night, <laughs> that, that's even funnier. I know. Okay, their only punishment is separation from friends and family. They don't. They don't do revenge there as a structural yeah. uh, objective. Punishment, separation, isolation is the punishment. Yeah, it was so different. I mean, the U.S. They talked about recidivism, and in in the U.S. we have eighty percent recidivism. That means people go back. Eighty percent of people who are in prison end up going back for some reason or another. So it's not about rehabilitation. And in Norway, they have twenty percent. And then, you know, for all the people, Michael Moore is good at anticipating um, the naysayers, like yeah. even like myself. And so the next thing he goes, well. You might have thought that was kind of a lax prison, but let's go to the most high maximum security prison here. Let's go there. And, you know, you see these, you know, concrete walls. And I'm like, yeah, I knew it. I knew. Metal, metal, (laughs) metal bars and everything. And the first thing they do is they show the Uh, the orientation video. video. Was it orientation for the guards or for the prisoners? Prisoners, when they first show up at the prison, and it's basically the the guards karaokeing "We Are the World." They do a music video. We are the world, but they're actually singing it. They actually (laughs) sung the song and produced a video saying "We Are the World." This looks more like what you would think a typical prison looks like, except. Inmates have their, their own, own basically studio with a television, flat a, screen TV, flat screen TV, a you know basically all the human comforts that a human might want: yeah. a refrigerator, room for their clothing, a key to their door. No one else has a key in the prison. A, 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 you know, washer and dryer, art and, classes. And I immediately thought of your friend who's in jail, who you as an outsider have to pay what $20 for five minutes of phone conversation what is it it's just ridiculous I forget what the cost is you have is. to pay something crazy <clears throat> he, he he has no access to like any other like luxuries at all and I'm not saying you know prisoners should be sitting in the lap of luxury whatever but it makes it impossible almost for people to have any relationships outside of prison like they can't just call their mama if they don't have money if they're not working it's just a mess it's it's it is an it Basically, they asked, Michael Moore asked the prison guard at one point, you know, how do you think it got this way? He's like, well, we got a lot of our, the main tenant that we work on is an American, is an American tenant of no cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. He said that he got that. They got that from us. It's they borrowed, a lot of people said that they borrowed a lot of the stuff from America and they ran with it. And our prison system as it is today is absolutely a zillion percent cruel and unusual punishment yeah isolating men oh into these little tiny rooms the you know solitary confinement um no access to you know exercise or the outdoors or sunshine uh segregation these guys were no education it's like we are it's not just a punishment it is like it is a separation it's like a it really is like a con it's like a what's the other word for concentration camp what they use for the japanese when they were here internment internment camp is what it is it's separation from society yeah. it is a cruel and unusual punishment for something you shouldn't even be punished for a lot of yeah. the times yeah 
it was just amazing. He he asked one of the prisoners, "So do you have to um, do you have to like have a shank just to protect yourself?" He's like, "What? No." <laughs> he says, "Do you have his? You know, are you worried about getting raped in the shower?" He's like, "Dude, I have my own shower." And no, it's yeah, not like he that. has his own are bathroom. Worried about the stall. guards? He's like, "No, they're not like, like that." And he actually said, "The guards are here." as our partners to help us just, get through our sentence. I was like, and this is a black dude talking. Yes. It wasn't just like, you know, you know, we were in Norway and there's all white people with white people. This is a black inmate saying the guards are here to help us get through our sentence and yeah. to kind of guide us through and to, and to protect us. It's really troubling to see how possible a, it is though. Peaceful and, um, uh, strife free environment even their highest security prison really is. I didn't see guys separated into colors and races and all that bullshit that happens in our prisons today. Uh, it, it's so different. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to understand that. They can also vote Oh yeah, in prison. They, 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 the politicians come there and hold debates in the prisons to get they the had, votes of the president. Right, yeah. They, that, that was interesting. President <laughs> president elects would go to the prison <laughs> to yeah, campaign to in the get, prison that ends, was pretty crazy he ends up uh finishing up with norway with something that was really really oh interesting. this Bef is rough you know in norway there was a nazi guy a neo-nazi guy who decided to go to this island and kill 54 young kids they killed 50 something people there, there, this was a, a, a destination for schools for learning so there yeah. was 50 there was a hundreds just think of summer kids. camp on like catalina Island. yeah like seventh that. grade kids go to catalina so he goes to there spend a weekend kills 54 kids and then blows up a government building and more <laughs> interviews the father and says you know don't you want to kill him do you want to kill this guy and the father's like no i don't want to kill him that's not my right he's like I no i don't want to stoop to what he did and it struck me cultural. that he didn't have revenge in his heart yeah it wasn't it didn't strike him that way he didn't I think he saw that person as an anomaly. Right. And that's why it was like, no, no, no. He saw him as like a a, a, a head case. Right. That didn't need to be killed. He just needed to be helped. And we or don't at the at the most separated, separated and isolated, so we couldn't hurt so someone else again. But that was it. It wasn't revenge in his heart, because I think it's because it's so strange. But you know, the, okay. So this that this was one thing that I. I agree with a lot of the things uh, that Michael Moore was presenting to us, but in this particular case in Norway, um, the longest prison sentence um, twenty one years could be twenty one years. And so this guy, they showed a sentence. He killed fifty four children plus I don't know how many other people in the in the bombing of the government building. But his sentence was ten years to twenty one years, and I'm like, wait this motherfucker is going to be out on the street again. Like, and so I struggled with that a I little did bit. Too. I struggled. I was like, okay, this guy should never, ever, ever in life be walking the streets again. And then I was like, well, is that because I'm coming from my American paradigm mm -hmm. or is this kind of like fucked up? Should there be a special case for people like him? And I that's from, you know, I studied undergrad criminal justice, grad school, forensic, psychology where you know i studied serial murderers and rapists that i truly believe can't be helped but who are self-admittedly shouldn't be on the streets ever again or they will reoffend. well watch this though they have the lowest murder rate in the world so if but does that still mean that out, that particular guy should get out again if it turned out that every time they let somebody out 
they kept killing, yeah. they wouldn't have the lowest motor rate in the world. That guy would be right back out killing hundreds of people again. Yeah. Why isn't he? Mm. So is your education, is it skewed by where we are yeah. somehow? That's what, I th- that's what I was wondering. You know, are they experiencing a different reality that if you treat someone that first of all, the reason the person did it might, it may be solvable. I don't know. I, I, know, I, I had the same struggle you did. With and with that. having the lowest murder rate, it made me, I mean, it just made me wonder what else is contributing to that. You know, like just even the, I don't know. I, I don't know either. Yeah. I, I felt, I felt uncomfortable about, uh, about what was happening with that guy getting out. What of do you think should have happened to him? You the know, guy who killed I, fifty-three I children the and then blew up a government. My building. instinct was that no, I can't trust this fool ever. He's got to go. That was my instinct. But they have you don't the know lowest, if that comes from your paradigm. I think it does. They have the lowest murder rate in the world. I grew up in a place where murder was every day. Right. So something they're doing is working. Do they have a different type of human being in that place, or is it, or is it social? Americans generally more violent, <laughs> like innately, or is it culture? It's not innately socialization. Culture, That's right. what I'm saying. Right. So I'd rather do everything their way. Right. Because yeah. the end result is lowest murder rate in the world. Yeah. I had seen people murdered by junior high school age. Yeah. So I'd rather do what they're doing. If that means let people out earlier. In, but again, here, it's a whole different scenario. They're doing so many things. Yeah, it's not just it's not just shortened prison sentences. Right. It's kind of like the guy in Portugal was like, you can't just decriminalize right. the use of drugs. Right. You have to first change your healthcare system to treat drug use as a mental health problem and Ugh. not a crime. It takes a whole turning so much, so of much. paradigm. Right, you're right. Which, how do you... Okay, we'll get to that, yeah, at the we'll end. that at the end. So then he goes to Tunisia, spends a couple moments there. <laughs> this is a nation um, that basically had a revolution very recently. Muslim country. Really changed some things in their country. He's, now he's on to trying to show us that revolution is possible. And Tunisia is a, a place where that happened. Well, it starts with... Him saying, okay, this is a Muslim country, yet they provide free women's health care for all women. Free government-funded abortion. Free government-funded birth control, checkups, and abortion in a, in, a, in a Muslim country. Yeah. And then he went on to highlight in America how basically abortion laws have been being reversed more states have gone back on abortion in the last three years in the last like 10 like we're, we're quickly regressing here when it comes to women's health rights and so i thought that was pretty interesting and then he went into um i don't know if you've heard of this but this is maybe what five six years I ago i can't exactly. remember where in the last 10 years a tunisian citizen lit himself on fire because things were getting too crazy because the government was fucking him up and he was like i got so this is it's not working it was the we are the 99 percent catalyst basically and uh change and that kind of uh they had a dictator a revolution. they changed their whole policy and they and they really made some general well they changes. they basically overthrew the dictator and, overthrew and, and um adopted a democratic government i think yeah yeah which still needed, the people did that it still wasn't perfect when they did it right but things continued and 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 things are better there now i think he's 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 leading us to his point here um then he goes on to iceland and in iceland he goes immediately to a time in the i think in the 60s where no 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 80s where women were protesting their treatment and on a single day 80 percent of women in the country decided they're not doing shit and they went they out won't and, go to work. and they basically changed the way everyone viewed women because society just broke down we don't do our thing you know shit doesn't go on you guys yeah. better rep- women are part of the workforce they're teachers they're doctors they're nurses fucking essential yeah 
And shortly thereafter, a single that was mom. The, I thought it was 80s. the 60s. It was the 80s. Shortly thereafter, a single mom was elected prime minister. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then we we got a lot of interviews from women thereafter. Three CEOs of huge companies yeah. in Iceland. And this was an interesting piece for me, too, because <laughs> they started talking about the impact of having women in, on corp, in corporate boards and boardrooms. Well, that it's the law that at least... 40% of corporate boards have to be comprised of women. Yeah, by law. And the same goes the other way. At least 40% have to be men. So right. it can't, he, she said, you, it, can you know, it can't tip. You can never get over 60%. Right. And she was talking about, you know, all brothers know that their sisters have the same intelligence. All fathers do. know their daughters have the same intelligence. I thought intelligence. that was interesting. I thought, wow. I mean, I, I think I come from a different, uh, maybe my family is anomalous, but I mean, my sister is the smartest one of all the kids, and I think we all always knew that. So there was never a moment where we thought for some reason, because we were boys, we were better. But yeah, the overarching agreement in American culture, based on how we pay women and what we've never had a woman president, is that women are somehow less, substandard. Less yeah, yeah, for sure. They're not, they're not able to make rational decisions. They're not as smart. They're not right. as capable. They're right. not as strong. Yeah. But how is it that every, pretty much every brother knows their sister is just as smart and every father knows that their daughters are just as smart or more smart or smarter than their sons? How is it that on a cellular level we know that? But we don't. But our culture tells us something else. What is that? It's the opposite. And that, that, that woman who became president in Iceland was the first of many who have become after her dem- democratically elected after her. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is after that happened in Iceland is that there was a strong surge in women coming into positions of power mm-hmm. and CEOs. The, the, these laws started being made about again, like we just said that at least 40% of a corporate board has to be women. The, um, when the Iceland economy broke down a few years ago, basically well, they said there was only one one sector of society that was still man uh, managed, man dominated. Big, big banks. And it was big banks. The bank of, basically, the equivalent of our Bank of America, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan All Chase. All those companies were 100% men. And in the and economic downturn a couple of years ago, every single bank, big bank failed in Iceland except for one. Called Outer Capital. Which was run by women. Run by women. And what a testament. And I thought about that for a second, and I really had to process that. Like, uh, was that just an accident? Was it a mistake? Not, I knew I knew there's more to it than that, but I started thinking to myself because they were making a big difference between men and women. I started thinking because I am a a personality guy, a per, uh, someone who pays attention to personality, the personality spectrum, and I kind of see people from that perspective more so than from a gender perspective. When I it was it was first for a moment a little bit i thought oh that's a little bit too simplistic but then they went into a boardroom of one of those trading those uh Not a board room. it was oh, a no, trading floor a trading floor of one, one that was, it was all guys like some making financial fucking decisions and they made the point that sometimes when testosterone um kicks in kicks in in those group scenarios you get this contagious risky behavior and i thought fuck what a what an interesting idea it's like going to the gym and lifting weights for you like who can do more i can do more it's like even though you might yeah break your elbow and and drop 300 pounds of metal on your chest you're still gonna do it yeah it's worth it testosterone fueled group 
groupthink yeah. creates some fucking horrible chaos. And if you have enough women involved, that estrogen balances that shit out. Right. And I thought, Jesus fuck. And what's real? What I thought was really interesting about the Iceland thing is so everything it was the the fastest economic collapse in history it happened really quickly like within a matter of weeks or something like that and what they did was so that that this one bank survived and what they did was basically handed over the reins to these women and they had like one of the fastest fastest economic turnarounds ever and they're they're not only back to where they started but they're better their economy is better than it was before when i saw that because I don't have any other, I mean, now I have this to go to go from, like this whole idea that, you know, to, environments with too much testosterone can get into a group think and start doing shit that's, that's disadvantageous. So now that I see it, I was like, whoa, not only do I want to make my organizations be balanced from a personality perspective, but I actually want, I want to follow their lead and make them balanced from a gender perspective. And it seems to be, the value seems to actually be intrinsic. Well, and there's value, it's like, this happens at work. I hear this, these things happen. Oh, well now where it's all about women being on this and that. But they were saying, what were they saying? If there's three women it changes the nature on a board, it changes the nature of the company. One is a token, two is a minority. But once you get three in a group, it actually changes the nature of the conversation. Moore was saying, he made the point that Icelandic women think in terms of we. Yeah. Instead and in of America, me. we think in terms of me. Yeah. It's the greater good. The greater good. Exactly. They're concerned with women, children. They say women want to save humanity. Yeah. And, and you know, the, a lot of times that, that, that can feel idealistic. But maybe. But at least let that be part of the conversation. Maybe let it that be. is the result of an estrogen fueled group think. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like I see, I see myself as someone concerned with the environment and humanity and all that kind of shit. But you're a different kind of dude. Though. But testosterone fueled groupthink yeah. is not personal. Just like estrogen, estrogen, That's what I was gonna say. Estrogen fueled groupthink. Let's have them both. That's what I'm saying. Now this is the first time I saw it Me that too. way. From Me too. As a woman, from a I agree. Groupthink perspective. For me, I've before been, it was just a, a matter of numbers. Now I. It wasn't it even that for me sense. before. It wasn't numbers. I didn't think. I didn't think necessarily that a company is most benefited by having an equal amount of men and women. I thought they're most benefited by having an, a a a diversity of personality traits yeah, to balance to these things that. out. Right. Yeah. So that's. I, I'm realizing that there's other things going on here. Um, oh, there was a statement there when we open up to the way women see things, then we get a better world. He asks. A Icelandic CEO oh, at the God. end. Woman. What would you say? A woman CEO at the end. What would you say to people in America if you had two minutes? And she thought about it and thought. She about could barely it. speak for a while. And she she, was just, she like, just thought about it for a long time. And then she said, "You know what? I would never. You couldn't pay me to live in America." She said, "I would never want to be your neighbor. Never, ever. You don't treat your fellow neighbor the way you should. How can you come home and feel okay with how you treat people?" She said, "I would never, ever, ever want to be one of you." That really fucked that me up. That was her response, is that you have no value. That really None. fucked me up. I was like, holy shit. It made me feel hella guilty for being a part of this. It made me, it, it made me, f- I, I, I didn't know what to do with it. I just, I felt her. I felt like, but you're right. 
you're right. There's no, yeah. There is no value here. There's no value in what we do and the way we treat each other. The fact that we can allow children to attend school, subpar schools that look like prisons. Um, the fact that people can go, sick people can go untreated because they don't have the money. The fact that these basic human rights that are afforded everyone in these countries are not afforded to people in America. And it's like, yeah, if you can't afford it, fuck you. Like I felt, I felt ashamed when she said that, like, how can I be a part of a, of a, this machine that allows people to die because they can't afford healthcare that allows poor children to have shitty food in schools and a zero education and have like, not only not a head start, but like have weights on their ankles as they try to move up and through this world, all in the, the name of uh, capitalism and uh, quote unquote democracy. I was, that really fucked me up. Yeah. And I thought in that moment, I was like, this is why I fucking watch the Kardashians. Seriously. And why? This is why I don't fucking watch the news. This is why I don't participate in political discussions. It's like... The guilt is overwhelming. It's so fucking overwhelming for me. And the Kardashians helps you not think it about mu- it. It, it. It numbs... It's, 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 it doesn't require me to think about anything. Maybe that's why I didn't feel guilt. Because I feel the opposite about the Kardashians. I watch them and I think they represent... Yeah, I don't. They represent what she's talking about. Social stratification. They represent the. They, I, I see them as they. I see them in the opposite way. You see them, and I didn't feel guilt when she said what she said. I felt more sad for the reality, and more like, "Amen, it's bullshit here." Yeah, but you're still here. What's that mean? And I'm still here, and I'm participating. I'm paying forty fucking thousand dollars a year in taxes to 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 forward the American and the military. It's like. But I don't think you have a choice in that. My choice is I can get the fuck out of here. Well, that's that's part of the process. We've been looking. We, no, we're now we're looking back in America. Well, because we didn't find what we were looking for, where we were looking for. We, we didn't look hard enough. On the way home, what did we say? Why haven't we looked at some of these places he 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 went to? Because we thought we thought the expense was too high. We thought a lot of shit, and that still wasn't my major reaction. My major reaction. Uh, and, and and I kind of wrote this down. We didn't finish. He finishes up the whole the whole thing in Berlin. Oh yeah. Oh. <sighs> oh my gosh. She finishes up in Berlin, and basically, the reason he goes to Berlin is to take us to the wall, and to remind us that the wall was built as something that was supposed to last forever, and everyone thought that it was something that would last forever and would never fall, and it came down thirty years after it was built. He said. Not only that, three months after the first hammer hit the wall, the wall went down. And he says for him, it's just a constant reminder that these things, these physical walls, these social walls, economic walls that seem impervious and permanent, they really aren't. Yeah. They change. Things change. And he makes the point that, you know, just a little while ago, gay marriage in America was illegal. And now it's, it's federally, it's law in law. every state, you know, it, Things you thought could never happen or and, work. And this is where I felt guilty. I didn't feel guilty by anything she said. I felt like, yeah, amen. This is bullshit. Yeah, 
a man that bullshit on tv is propping up social stratification and making it like yeah we should all want to be famous and wealthy and shit and and that i didn't feel any i didn't feel i felt guilty when he started saying this shit because i actually have given up on this place yeah i actually do believe it's impossible to change this country i actually believe that that the amount of violence this country is willing to inflict upon its own citizens makes it not worth it to try to change this place Mm. i have retreated i don't believe love is stronger than hate Mm. i don't believe in people i don't believe that we have the capacity to understand the circumstance. When I say we, I mean the average American citizen. I don't have any optimism. And when I started realizing that, that's where the guilt kicked in for me. Mm. I don't have any desire to change the place. I've right. given up. Because how do you do it? How do you do it? He says, pick up a fucking hammer, hit it, and shit falls apart. But the problem, so the, this whole thing in Germany came up because he happened to be there on vacation with his homie when the wall came down. He he basically, were they were just fucking chilling in Berlin and they're walking down the street and they see people literally with a chisel and a hammer in their hand chipping away at the wall. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? And pretty soon there was 10 people, then 20, then 30 then a hundred and within three months this wall i mean it literally just came down and there was no one there to shoot them or like arrest them there was a whole political there was a whole lot of shit going on it's more metaphorical than just physical yeah they made the world changed in that place at that time in a way that no one thought it could and that's his point so what is it that we do here i i just want to report that after seeing it at the end of the film i hated the fact that i was resigned to the idea that nothing will ever change. So, okay, so Michael Moore gives this great, what is it, something chisel? What Hammer, was, chisel, repeat. What I was wanting him to say, and maybe it's not his duty, maybe it's his duty just to get me thinking. What is my hammer? What is my chisel? What do I do? Because we all know that so it used to be that your vote, your vote used to count. But now that basically corporations decide who's in office and what laws get passed and, you know, money decides everything. I know my vote doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, my tax dollars don't count. I don't yeah. get to decide where they go. Right. How do I do that without getting murdered by police mm-hmm. or thrown in jail or, you know, maybe we need to all be willing to be thrown in jail or maybe I need to light myself on fire. What is it that I need to do in order to start making change? Is is it just a conversation like this one? That was my question. I was you know, wondering. My, yeah, I was wondering maybe if every fucking America, because I, I come from a conservative family, a conservative Republican family who... I, I, even at the end of this movie, I'm like... I, I, I And I try to put myself in other people's shoes. But even as a conservative Republican, putting myself in their shoes, I still can't, I cannot fucking get behind subpar education. I can't get behind imprisoning people because of poverty. I can't get behind the shit. And maybe that's just me as a, a, a liberal getting into a Republican conservative shoes. But I just fucking can't see how anyone can get behind it being okay that our fucking kids are getting a shitty education and a a, a minus 10 
with a start in life. Eating shitty food and having no opportunities. It's like, how can anyone get behind that? So my question is, what the fuck do we do? After watching this movie, all I want to do is come home and get faded. I want to come complain about it. I want to cry a little bit. And I want to fucking drink a lot of vodka and pretend like I never saw it. Because what the fuck can I do? I think it's a great question. I (laughs) am resigned to hopelessness. And I wonder if my resignation is the reason why we don't have hope. I wonder if my voice is the hammer. Mm -hmm. If it is the chisel. Is the only reason we are in this circumstance because I have decided not to do anything. Yeah. I know there's only one real fulcrum point to change America. But am I willing to sacrifice in the way those the women union in workers I- yeah. sacrifice? Or the women in Iceland. The women in Iceland didn't actually have to sacrifice much. They took a day off work. Well, they could have got fired. But that ain't shit. Just like th- that happened when Reagan was in office. That the air traffic controllers, you know what they did? They all decided to strike and guess what fucking Reagan did? Because they were like, they can't fire all of us. He fucking fired every single air traffic controller that, stri- that yeah, striked. Yeah. And that's the fear that we have. Because guess what? Homeless people have no fucking rights here. If I lose my job, guess what? Unless I go live with my mom, if she lets me, I'm fucking homeless. I get it. And that's one type of sacrifice. The people that created those outcomes for those workers in Europe, they died for that shit. Yeah. So losing a job ain't shit compared to dying. When we look or being in prison for life, like these Panthers and shit, this is, you know, that's the type of next level shit that would have to happen on mass in order to create the change in America that to to make it something like some of these places. But I kind of always fall back. uh, George Bernard Shaw said, you know, he doesn't understand people that complain about circumstances. If you don't have what you want, he said, "Go, go look for it. And if you can't create the circumstances where you are, go find them and go there. Where, where, where so what? Like so, the answer then for us would be to just go somewhere else where we could get behind their culture, take our, you know, stop fucking paying the American nec- government forty thousand dollars a year in, in, it's in not taxes. Necessarily the answer. It's it's a, it's, it's a, one solution. It's a possible action. Yeah. Do we want to live here and turn a blind eye to the realities and of this place? And contribute via income taxes. Right, and contribute. <laughs> or do we want to abandon ship mm. and do our exodus thing and find good. a place that feels more right intrinsically? Yeah, and, I and think have to abandon all of our friends and all of our family, true. all of the culture that we know, our language, that's right. our that's history. Sacrifice. And that's probably why, I mean, I don't know if my parents were Is that a bigger sacrifice, it. though, than like standing in the line of fire? You know, I think that we forget that we are humans before we are Americans. So, uh, yeah. you know, we aren't just American. We aren't just where we live. Yes, they have a they have a huge monopoly on violence, so they mandate that you, they take a big piece of your income. But we can live in ways even here where we are um, as disassociated from some of these realities as possible. And that's really the plan. Yeah. Little so farm, that's grow right. your own food. Just kind of disconnect from some of these realities. And even if we move, these is realities. Is that turning a blind eye, though? But if we move, we're still turning a blind eye. Yeah. At least we're, we're just doing it from further away. Yeah, that's true. At least I don't have to, like, associate with being a fucking selfish American. But like, I'm not. embarrassed sometimes but when we travel. But you're not. I'm never embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. 
Never. Because I am not this place. I'm not where I live. The way people think about Hollywood, I'm not that just because I live here. Oh, God, I hate when people say that. But I am not. I am not those principles. I am. We are our own principles, babe. Yeah. And I guess it it only matters what we know. It doesn't matter what other people think. Yeah. And there would be things wherever we move that we wouldn't agree with either. Yeah. So, yeah, we he cherry picks some things that are really in line with, you know, but but I I, I cannot let America off the hook like that. Our social stratification instead of the the idea um, that there should be some egalitarian shit popping off. We have that bad. Yeah. I guess for me, the bottom line is for a lot of our biggest issues, for me, some of our biggest issues in America are the disparity in education, our lack of proper health care. To me, those are two of the, and the huge economic divide, you know, the 99% versus the 1%. To me, those are kind of the, the top three and to me none of it's worth thinking about until you get money completely out of politics yeah so there's only one in my mind there's only one change america needs to consider and that is a constitutional amendment making it illegal for corporations to participate or rich people in any or rich people in any way to participate at all in in our democracy in the creation of our perceptions about law in the creation of our uh, nothing they can't be involved in in political education. They can't be involved in political media. Nothing. And until you have that, there's no chance for America. Right. And for me, I think those top three issues where we say, oh, but what do we do? And we're the best country in the world. And the way we do it is right. We have solid examples in this world of where it works. Yeah. And so my answer to that is it is possible there are ways that we can we can be better. We are not the best. Nobody's the best. That was funny. That's another thing that someone said. Yeah, what country illegal. was that? It's where illegal it's, it's illegal to advertise anything as quote unquote the, the best. best. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. But we're not the best and that's okay. It's all right to say we're not the best. I, I, actually, I actually feel that one of the things I'm going to change moving forward and be more diligent about the way I use the word we. we. You know, we is you and I, babe. Yeah. And I, I want to be American. <laughs> I, I live born here. in this geography. Yeah. I'm a homo sapien. <laughs> homo sapien sapien. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. You know, I live on this piece of this planet and I'm going to tend to wherever I end up spending more of my time. I'm going to tend to that piece of the planet. Well, yeah. but even if I move to another place, I'm not, I won't be Icelandic. I'm just human. I happen to be living in a place where you call it that, where there's a government who does things that are good for people, as yeah. opposed to you know having an ethics that are only good for corporations. Right. We know what this place is. We know what it is, and we have to know who we are. Yeah. So no matter where we live, we live based on our own principles. And we didn't and, ask to be here. We, was we just, didn't ask for we any. We was born of it. to here. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't so, mean I hate it. I think that I wanted to die. A, <laughs> it's an interesting exploration. Yeah. There, there are things happening in other places that go a long way towards human well-being. Yeah. And I want to have principles that I live by that have that type of impact on people around me. Yeah. I can't control Always the larger governmental structures. I can control myself and how I impact people. And I plan to be mm-hmm. beneficial to people around me. Yeah. I'm glad I saw. Are you glad you saw the film? I am. That was such a romantic date. You think? Good talk. I, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we went there. I love you. Sorry to make that our first. It's all good. 
our first uh, You got what you wanted in the night. I'm drunk and ready. <laughs> Done. You might get lucky tonight. There it is. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you again for joining us on Sarah and Wayne. We love you. Come Adios. back again. We'll see you next time, y'all. Bye-bye.